Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast, available on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, Parlor, and Instagram. And of course, be sure to visit www.mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. over there? Is he doing something completely weird? Senior prank day. But we'll see all kinds of dumb stuff today. Swim captain, we'll have Thai food delivered to class, and Becky Vaughn will set up her homemade slip and slide. This is high school. Nothing that happens here matters in the real world. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 318. Out now exclusively on The Daily Wire is Run, Hide, Fight, an action thriller that stars Isabel May as a teenager who takes on a group of gunmen who have taken siege of a small town school. An intense watch filled with excellent performances and stakes aplenty, Run, Hide, Fight is also the latest film produced by Dallas Sonnier, whose credits also include Bone Tomahawk and Dragged Across Concrete. And I'm happy to say that Dallas Sonnier joins me right now on the podcast. Dallas, I thank you very much for your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So the first time you came across the script for Run, Hide, Fight, um, what was it that really drew you to the story and to also to Kyle Rankin as a filmmaker? He wrote and directed the movie. I had seen Kyle on season two of Project Greenlight back in the day, so I was familiar with who he was, but I was also a fan of some of the movies that he had made independently uh, in the time between uh, Project Greenlight and, and, and me receiving the Run, Hide, Fight script. So I uh, was excited to get a script from him and from his agent. Um, what drew me to this specific project was a combination of things. One, uh, I think that my own personal tragedies of losing my parents uh, in, in separate situations of domestic gun violence uh, clearly uh, has influenced my decision to make movies like this, both mm-hmm. to explore the level of violence in movies, but also uh, I, was, I, was, I was drawn to the idea of a person having a chance to fight back yeah. uh, in a situation like this, frankly, in ways that, that my, neither of my parents had. So there was a personal connection there. Um, I think also uh, sort of more relevant to my career per se is I have always tried to find movies where uh, the story deserves to be told, but the morality police in big Hollywood are simply too afraid of it or worse have decided that it shouldn't be told. Yeah. Uh, so when people tell me, oh, you can't make this movie, it's, 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 it's a lot of times uh, a signal to me that it should be made. Hmm. You know, it was interesting when I was doing research um, for this film, I came across an interview you did on Fox back in 2018. And um, you were even made mention of Run, Hide, Fight back then. And you were talking about how it was a struggle trying to get actors to attach themselves to the script because while they liked the story, the whole kind of school shooting kind of setting kind of turned some people off i'm just curious who was that first person that really took the big you know decision to really step up and uh and attach themselves to the project 
the first actor to attach themselves was Thomas Jane. Yeah. I, I had uh, really a, a lot of interest in casting the young kids as up-and-comers. Uh, I felt like if we had gone with a big Disney star or something like that, it would, it would have been distracting. Although Isabel certainly has led her own show before on Netflix, um, most of our audience was unaware of who she was at the time. Mm. Uh, so, so I really honed in on the, the, the mother and father roles of Zoe, the lead girl, uh, as the cast anchors. I knew I could cast people who were, uh, you know, a little bit older, had um, uh, some clout in terms of actor value and name recognition and things like that. So I employ uh, a, a, a process that I have called the Louisiana cousin test. Yes. And what I, what I do is I text, I've got two of my cousins, um, from Louisiana and I text them uh, names of actors to get their reactions. And uh, Thomas Jane, you know, he's been the Punisher, he's yeah. on The Expanse, um, you know, a lot of people really love him. Um, and, and so they were super excited about it. So I cast Thomas as the father of Zoe and that led to a validation of the project. It, it, didn't, it didn't make it any easier uh, in terms of finding the distribution or raising the money or things like that, but it did allow me to uh, point to an actor who had been willing to put their reputation on, on the line and join the movie. And so that was really exciting. And Thomas and, 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 and I, uh, as well as Kyle Rankin and Amanda Presmick, the producer, we've all become very close friends. And um, you know, we're, we're sharing in the success of this moment together. And speaking success, I, I'd say that this is a star-making role for Isabel May. You mentioned before she has been on shows before, feature films, though. This is the first time I've seen her in one. And in my review, I wrote that she really does remind me of the first time I saw Jennifer Lawrence in Winter's Bone some 10 years ago. She has that kind of presence, and her performance in the movie is just electric. I mean, I think she's just fantastic. Um, casting Isabel, um, did you know of her beforehand? What's the process like in trying to find someone to fill that role because it's such a huge role. She's on the screen the majority of the time and she's just terrific in it. Yeah, we, we have a, a head of casting executive out in Los Angeles uh, named David Guglielmo and he's terrific at finding up and coming actors that you know are gonna be the next this person or that person. And uh, Isabel had read for a previous film of ours, a movie called VFW, yeah. and um, ultimately uh, uh, was not cast, but I, I was aware of her. And so when we were talking about Run, Hide, Fight, um, David and I discussed Isabel for the role and had her uh, audition for Kyle. Uh, and, and to Kyle's credit, he knew right away, you know, she, she, was, the, she was the person um, we, we did explore a number of actors in, in that role and really, you know, had a very wide casting call. And in fact, um, my appearance on Fox News led to a bunch of, of people reaching out uh, for the role. And it was exciting to audition some of them, uh, two of which came and worked on the movie and other roles. So uh, it was it was really it was really pretty, pretty, pretty great experience. Uh, to see everyone sort of rally up against the, uh, you know, in, in pursuit of the of the movie, but Isabel is a star. 
Yeah. Uh, she has star quality to her in a way that is both innate, but also a testament to the way that she was raised, uh, her parents, her family, her way of life, and her commitment uh, to her own moral code, which I'm so such a fan of. Um, and, and I think, you know, when we were in the process of casting her, we had a number of phone conversations with her to basically make sure that she came into this with eyes wide open, understanding the uh, challenges this movie was gonna face. Um, and she had very thoughtful questions and, and, and comments and really had a, had a grasp uh, that was wise beyond her years. And um, I think the movie works and succeeds on so many levels, uh, but also uh, due to her, her in that lead role, just knocking it out of the park. Another thing that I think works so well in the movie is the depiction of the violence. And what I mean by that is when you're dealing with a scenario that this film has, um, the violence needs to feel real, the stakes need to feel high. And I think something that really worked is that what you didn't do in the movie, which is Isabella doesn't become some type of action hero dispensing martial arts skills from out of nowhere. And I feel that in the hands of lesser filmmakers, that could happen because the, the temptation to do so is so high because that just seems to be the, the trend to do so. Um, how important was that aspect to keep that from the violence to, from not being watered down? And hence, by not watering it down, you keep the stakes high and you keep everything so palpable. I think Kyle... Uh always had that objective going into uh, the production, never to make the movie feel exploitative in the, in, in the violence. Uh, certainly there's a level of exploitation whenever you make a genre movie, but um, not to push it into a, a level of, of uh, feeling uh, provocative for the sake of provocation. That's never, I don't, I, don't, I don't enjoy being in that space. So Kyle was, was laser sharp in his commitment to threading that needle. Yeah. Um, I think we were also uh, uh, massively aided by the work of Darren Moran, the director of photography, who came in early, sat down with Kyle over a matter of weeks, learned the school, and, and really the two of them would, would close the door and design these amazing shots. Um, uh, and, and Darren, uh, you know, had a very special camera rig that he was using and things like that. So it was, it was a wild team effort, but, but I have to say, um, my inspiration when it came to the violence and, and the way of showcasing it is naturally influenced by my work with, uh, another filmmaker named S. Craig Zoller. Yes. And, and, and Zoller, I've learned the most from anyone in my entire career working with him and, you know, Zoller, if you look at uh, especially Bone Tomahawk and Brawl and Cell Block 99, but even Dragged Across Concrete, Zoller has a tendency to uh, shoot the action scenes in a wide and allow the violence to sort of take place and allow the actors to do the work that they need to do um, in camera. And so uh, we benefited from my history with Zoller uh, in that we were so committed to practical effects and we were committed to the sort of the clinical nature of the violence and things like that. I think it really pays off. So um, uh, 
I, I, I feel bad for the crew uh, that had to pull this off because it was such a, uh, a, a giant undertaking. But I insisted that all of the screens in the movie from uh, the TV screens to the uh, phones, uh, the cell phone screens and things like that, it had to be practical, yeah. completely practical. Uh, and in fact, there are only one there's only one, maybe two uh, shots in the movie where we couldn't pull it off. And the good news is I don't think anyone could point those, those two shots out. Uh, but the whole movie, I mean, for the most part, is completely practical. And I think it helps because nothing is worse than when you see a computer screen on a TV, you know, or a TV screen and it's complete CGI nonsense. Yeah. And I 100% agree with that too. When I think what I really love about your films, Dallas, is that the philosophy behind it. Um, this film is released under your Bonfire Legend uh, label. Before that, you had Cine State and, and you worked in other things as well. But the philosophy always remained the same. Um, the filmmaker always comes first. You work within a limited budget. And the movies are often, correct me if I'm not, often in the R-rated kind of realm as well. If, if even R-rated, some of them are uh, what we would call unrated. <laughs> um, but uh, yes, absolutely. No, we're, we're, we're very much, uh, we, we, don't, we don't fuss too much over the rating. Yeah. And um, when it comes to, to what you're going to do with Bonfire now, is, are you continuing on with that philosophy as well? Are you, or are you looking to kind of expand outside of that as well? Because as you become more successful, I'm, I'm sure maybe there's a temptation to make budgets become bigger or delve into different areas of filmmaking. Um, with the future of Bonfire, are we looking at pretty much the same type of philosophies that Sinistate had as well? I, th I would say the easiest way to describe bonfire for folks who followed my career is essentially, um, you know, a, 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 a sort of an expansion of Cinestate um, minus the, uh, the horror films that we were releasing through Fangoria as we've now sold that, that brand. Yep. So yes, we will become more bold uh, in, our, in our journey. Um, when it comes to budgets and, and, and creative, um, uh, you know, sort of commitments to uh, when it comes to the, the movies that we, that appeal to us and, and that ultimately appeal to our audience. Um, I think that the key here more than anything is creative freedom. Yeah. So I will quit uh, before I lose creative freedom. Um, and naturally when you go up and up and up in budget, you lose your creative freedom. You just do. You, you're at the mercy of the studio or uh, the financing company or whatever that might be. Um, the, staying in the lower budgets has allowed me to, to move creatively uh, with great freedom. And then what I do is I transfer that freedom over to the filmmaker uh, and, and it allows the filmmaker to make something that is creatively unfiltered. So I do have a movie in development at New Line that they uh, are threatening to make uh, here pretty soon. Um, and I have uh, stuff uh, that's bigger budgeted that, that, that wouldn't be able to be made sort of in my system. Um, so I'm always open to 
stuff that's bigger and, 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 and but, but I think even when I lose the, the, the total creative freedoms um, by working, you know, in the system, I, I don't think I change necessarily. Um, I mean, just, just the other day, I really, you know, went uh, to the mat with a, a studio executive over some creative notes on a movie we're working on. And, and it was an uncomfortable phone call uh, because I don't think they've really experienced uh, someone standing up for their director uh, in the way that I had. And, and, and it, and it, and it sort of makes a, 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 a strange relationship moving forward uh, for me with studio executives, but that's okay because I'm not going to change. Yeah. So I think anyone that sees my uh, name on a movie and certainly Bonfire Legend moving forward is the ethos of Dallas, me as a producer, uh, the ethos of me as a producer uh, moving forward without uh, a, a real a sort of a based, I've got a real based attitude right now that just doesn't care what people think about me. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've had my fair share of attacks and, and uh, uh, dealt with them in my own way. And I'm proud of, of, of me and my career, and my company. So I don't, I don't see us uh, softening up too much. Um, but that said, there are some stories that I'm really interested in telling in scripts I'm developing that really don't have any violence at all in them. Um, yeah. But the, but the violence to me can come in all shapes and sizes. It can come from, uh, you, you know, disingenuous morality and, um, you know, the thought police and, and, and all kinds of stuff. So it's not uh, sometimes when characters are, quote, in peril, it's not because a gun is being pointed at them. It's that their way of life is under attack. Hmm. Dallas, I, this is, might, might be a loaded question, but... I'm just curious, what is Hollywood now to, to filmmakers? Because, you know, I talk to a lot of independent filmmakers um, in the States and a lot of them film outside of Los Angeles and outside of New York. They film in places like Texas, which you are based in, which you were born and raised in. It's really interesting watching a lot of, it almost seems like this purge of people in the entertainment industry and different types of things with a podcast hosts or musicians or filmmakers leaving California, going to places like Texas and establishing themselves there. What's Hollywood now? Is it, is it the dream factory it used to be or, is it, or has it become something else? Well, I think that most people that work in big Hollywood, when, when we say big Hollywood, we talk about big Hollywood, like the mainstream media in America talks about big tech or, uh, things like that. So yes. big Hollywood is Netflix and the streamers. It's Paramount and the studios. It's the, the major agencies that represent the actors. It's, it's most movie stars, things like that. Big Hollywood. To me, it's a different world, right? I came into, uh, I came out of USC film school in 2002 right as a lot of the corporate mergers were happening. Yes. And so what, 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 what I found was a deep-seated insecurity, uh, people not being willing to fall on the sword in, in, in order to get their movie made, uh, a lot of uh, decisions made by committee so that there was uh, a, 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 a cover uh, to be provided for these executives if, if a movie didn't work. Um, and, 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 and really just a, over time, especially uh, in Obama's second term, 
just this this unbelievable shift to the left. Um, yeah. And and I and I didn't I didn't shift to the left. It's not that I became more right. In fact, I just never changed and, yeah. and uh, keep. I continue to like the same movies uh, as an audience member, and I continue to make the same movies as a filmmaker. So I I'm very happy. And uh, if I have to exist outside of big Hollywood to follow my own dreams uh, or to give filmmakers opportunity that, that Hollywood isn't giving them, um, that's okay with me. And by the way, most of the filmmakers that I work with, they're not conservatives. Um, I mean, listen, I, I, I'm a conservative and a proud uh, a conservative and openly conservative, but, but I also don't seek an echo chamber of, you know, making conservative movies or only working, I mean, that's only working with conservatives. I mean, that's, that's just so boring to me. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest and fair. I think most of the great creatives tend to be more liberal in the world. Um, yes. And, and, and so I, I don't, I don't know the great conservative chef that just opened up that amazing new restaurant down the street. I don't, I don't, I don't think that exists. I so, think, I think people tend to forget that Steven Spielberg and John Milius are good friends, right? So it can yeah, be yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and Milius, man, I mean, boy, do we miss him. Uh, yes. You know, he's got a couple of scripts kicking around that, um, you know, we're, we're, we, we might be able to help make one day, but um, we, we, we certainly miss his presence as a director in the film industry. Uh, but but when when one when one worldview becomes ninety seven percent of an industry, that's a that's a major problem in my opinion. Yes, uh, and, I, and, and I, so I seek I seek to push back against that. And if I have to go independent and underground like Dennis Leary and uh, Demolition Man, well then so be it. And um, I think a really great thing that's happening now is that run high fire is being released through the daily wire that they, they, they were more, they are more of a news kind of agency now delving into the entertainment industry. And I'm a big fan of the daily wire and the stuff that they do there. Yeah. And to me, this kind of shift shows uh, allows variety. And I think that's something that a lot of people kind of seek um, in their film watching. And I'm sure a lot of producers seek in their filmmaking as well. When you found out that the daily wire were jumping into the entertainment pool and they were looking to uh, distribute content that was, you know, wanted to project ideas and, um, and thoughts and, and stories that uh, an industry uh, have rejected now for the last decade or so what does that say to you as a filmmaker does it just show like it's such a great opportunity now where movies like run hide fight can can live and breathe i hope that i get to make a bunch of movies for the daily wire i i am so excited by uh the way that this movie has been released um the the amount of views on the trailer the amount of views on the opening night premiere streaming uh, the, the, the audience size since then who've watched it on their, on the daily wires website and apps and things like that. Um, the way that the audience has rallied online with good reviews to combat the sort of systemic critical, uh, um, hatred, um, is really impressive and it's awesome. It's, it, it feels, it feels great to be, to be completely frank. Um, I, I, I will make movies, for anyone that wants me to make a movie for them, but I'm so enamored uh, with the folks at the Daily Wire, just in terms of sharing a worldview with me, but also uh, really just being 
genuinely good people and good partners. And it's amazing that like, uh, when they say they're going to do something, they go and do it. And their team is sharp and, uh, they're, they're all, they're all, they're all really supportive of each other and supportive of the movie. And I've, I've, I've made 30 to 40 new friends just at the daily wire alone in the last three weeks, uh, going through this process. So I can't say enough about them. I think every filmmaker should be trying to work with them. Um, and if I can be a big part of that, uh, moving forward, then, uh, then I'll be thrilled. Um, I'm still making some movies that won't be a perfect fit for the daily wire. And, uh, we'll continue to make my movies available to other distributors. And, um, I think, as long as the movie is good, uh, and as long as I make something that's undeniable uh, to, to, to be released, uh, I think I can have a successful career uh, making movies for The Daily Wire, for Hollywood, for independent movies, uh, things like that. I'd like to, I'd like to, to really um, uh, put the movie out where it's best suited for the audience. And, and right now, uh, the most impressive uh, so far has been The Daily Wire. Well, for everyone listening out there, Run, High Fight is available now at The Daily Wire. I strongly recommend you watch this movie. Um, I gave the film a positive review. Um, I absolutely loved it. I love especially what Isabel May is doing. And I can't wait to see what Kyle Rankin does as well. And I can't wait to watch more of your films, Dallas. I'm such a big fan of, of the films that you have um, released. And um, it's been an absolute pleasure talking today. And I thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thanks so much. We've got a, um, a movie coming out uh, via Vertical and Netflix uh, later this spring called The Seventh Day with Guy Pierce and Vadir Derbez and Stephen Lang. Uh, and then we have a movie coming out this fall called Till Death with Jason Sudeikis and Evangeline Lilly uh, from the writers and one of the directors of uh, Big Bad Wolves, the, the amazing Israeli film from a few years ago. So. Uh, we got some good stuff coming out and certainly uh, if you haven't seen any of the Zoller movies or st the standoff at Sparrow Creek or VFW, uh, highly recommend going back into our catalog and checking it out. But just, you know, thanks again, Matt. Really appreciate you having me on the show and giving me a chance to uh, talk about it. Absolutely. Thank you, Dallas. Thank you.